Hi, this is Bruce Buffer, and you're listening to the Bronson Beard Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Brats and Beers podcast. Today on the show, we have the first female NFL coach, the first female running back to play in a men's professional football league, and she is a two-time uh, Team USA gold medalist. Recently, she just became the first female coach in the Madden video game franchise as well. And uh, she most recently was a defensive coach with the Atlanta Legends in the AAF. Help me welcome Dr. Jen Welter to the show. Yay. Thank you for joining us today, Jen. We appreciate you taking some time out. Um, and, uh, and I can start off with a, a quick question here. So obviously you have a long history of playing and coaching in football and you started, I believe at the age of 22, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. About so, 22. so what kind of drew you to football? I know you had some rugby experience as well, but what, what drew you to football, like in that stage of your life and like what kind of started you, uh, in the process of playing and, and kind of getting the coaching mindset later? You know, I, I loved football. I grew up in Florida where it's like a way of life, right? That is what Vero Beach, Florida does on a Friday night. Those are the biggest lights. Um, it's the biggest stage in all of the town. And I always looked at the guys and I thought they were like real life superheroes and I wanted to play, right? It was just simple. Like most kids, you see something and you want to do it. Mm -hmm. And yet it was also a place where early in my life, I found out that there were things that boys were allowed to do that girls weren't. And that was weird to me, um, but there weren't really opportunities. So it's not like I, you know, cried in my Cheerios. I went on and did a lot of other things. Um, when I went to college, I saw rugby and it was like, wait a minute. I had never heard of rugby before or seen it. Um, and I was like, this is like football meets soccer. Uh, and they get to tackle, which is kind of what I always wanted to do. And they don't even wear pads. So I played all four years at BC, ended up getting recruited for the under 23 national team, at which time they realized that I am five foot two, like a hundred and 25, 130 pounds, um, and was pretty much half the size of everybody I was going up against since I was a prop. Um, and so my U.S. team uh, ambitions got dashed too early. I was playing flag football on weekends, um, and the general manager of a team called the Mass Mutiny called and asked if there were any girls who were playing flag that they thought could play tackle. Well, Full disclosure, coming from rugby, I'd never stopped tackling and it wasn't really applauded there. It was kind of frowned upon in the flag league. So they were probably like, please take her. Um, ended up going out for an open tryout, making the team. And when I, I did, I just promised myself I would step up to every challenge that the game put in my way. Didn't really have like this dream of, you know, one day I'll play on the U.S. national team. There wasn't a U.S. national team. I didn't have a dream of one day I'll play in men's pro football. In fact, I was like, um, I am five foot two, 130 pounds. Um, I don't have a death wish. I do not <laughs> want to play football against men. I would never do that. Um, and so, you know, never is apparently a dirty word in, in, in the universe because um, I fully got called out to do something that I said I would never do. And then yet again, um, 
I earned the respect of the guys. You know, not only did I end up um, trying out and being on the team, um, I was with them the whole season. And we really became close in a situation where everybody thought it would be an epic fail and I quite possibly would be crippled, right? Like nobody thought that this would happen. And so when we got a new head coach the following season, Wendell Davis, former Dallas Cowboy, he saw how the guys responded to me and was impressed. He sat me down and grilled me on football and everything else. And um, I impressed him. And he said, you have to coach my football team. I said, no. So what do you mean? No. I said, I don't know. Girls don't do that. Like, I don't want to coach football. Like, I'm not that, that person anyway. Like I, I wasn't your, you know, your captain who got the huddle set and, you know, looked out for everybody on every play. I was like, your quarterback is my lunch and I'm about to make that person's life really difficult. So, you know, I don't really do that. Like you guys do that. I'm just going to make this person's life really difficult. So it, it never really occurred to me that that's who I was. And thankful, thankfully, um, Wendell saw something in me before I saw it in myself. Uh, he actually wouldn't let me not take the job. He took it on my behalf and then informed me about it um, and said, you know, basically like, you can quit if you want to. And that'll be the whole narrative behind women coaching in men's pro football. And I was like, <laughs> a lot of pressure right here, right? Like, you got um, God. <laughs> but, yeah, but I, I lovingly say he had my number and he drop kicked me into success. So it, it wasn't like I had this grandiose vision. Um, I just was stubborn and was like, okay, all right. So what do I have to do next, right? How can I be great? How can I um, contribute to the game that I love? And whether that was, you know, getting a master's in sports psychology and then a PhD or, you know, studying um, scouting and general management, all of those things were ways that I wanted to be great at what I loved. That's awesome. And, and so you began playing mostly linebacker. And then when you went to the Texas revolution, you switched to running back. Was that a coach's decision, a personal decision? And I'm guessing, but by the sounds of it, you liked playing linebacker more, but I guess where did that decision and change kind of come from? Yeah. So interestingly enough, when I first tried out, they assumed I would be a receiver um, because of my size. Um, and so they even gave me receivers pads, which I didn't really know the difference. Um, and, um, and part of that was because, you know, it was Massachusetts and it was like winter for the start. So we were indoors and they just saw my speed and my size. And so that was the assumption. Then I ended up playing some running back and linebacker. So at first they were trying me at both running back and linebacker, again, mostly because of size. The first day that we were outdoors in full pads and we had tackling, that was it. They were like, this girl's a linebacker. Cause I came from rugby. Yeah. I was a great instinctive tackler. I could bring anybody down. In fact, I still credit my rugby roots with my, uh, my football success with my rugby roots because um, you know, I could tackle with no pads and no helmet and I knew I could take anybody down and I did. Um, although I used to get in trouble for tackling wrong and now it's funny because now they all tackle like rugby players. So, um, <laughs> I used to get yelled at a lot. And then that some things never change. It just depends on what I'm getting yelled at for. Um, but you know, I, I did play both sides of the ball at several times in my career in women's. Um, though I was mostly a blocker, um, I was, because I was fast enough 
to get in front of the fast girls and could block. I never, I wasn't really as, as keen to like, you know, be the person with the ball. I really liked hitting. Um, and that's really what I was good at. So if I was, if I was on offense, a lot of the times I was playing defense on offense, right? Like I, I was not the like, Oh, we're, you know, we're pretty on offense. I was like, no, we're about to get dirty. Like I'm about to take this girl and I'm going to sit her on her teammates lap because that's my job. Um, and I was a special team specialist. I played all special teams. Um, when, um, and even in, even on defense, funny enough, a lot of times people go further from the ball, the longer they play, I kept getting closer and closer. Um, so I was linebacker slash speed rush, um, you know, outside linebacker slash defensive end, depending on what defense we were playing. Um, and then even with the U S national team, I was a speed rush defensive end. So really fast off the ball and able to wreak havoc. Um, like I'd probably be in the backfield before a lot of the O-linemen were even, you know, out of their stance because I was just really fast um, and, and sideline to sideline, great pursuit. So backside yeah. quarterback rolls out opposite. I'm going to chase it down. Um, when I went to the revolution, it was a lot of, it was a size thing. Um, you know, basically they were like, you, you know, you're a great tackler. You see it, you read it fast, which is what made me good. You know, I read things fast on defense, whether I was a linebacker or speed end or, um, I didn't like coverage as much. I was really a, a run game player. Um, first, um, my idea of covering was knocking somebody off their route if I had my druthers. Um, but, and funny enough, I did play safety for a while, but from the, from the offensive side of the ball with um, running back, it was really about the fact that he's like, you might be in the right place and, and yet your size, like you're going to get run straight over. Um, in this, we think that your size as running back, basically being hidden um, behind the O-lineman could be um, an advantage. Um, and so that's what it was. It was, you know, we, we have no doubt that you could put yourself in the right position to make these plays um, against the guys. But we, uh, we do doubt that, you know, 5'2", 125 is going to be making many tackles. Okay, that, that makes sense. It was sense. not my choice, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I lovingly tell them, I'm like, dude, you do realize this is not what I'm good at, right? Like, this is not actually what I do. I do the opposite of this. And yeah. he was like, it's the only way we can do it. So, <laughs> Do you have any, like, memorable, like, either, like, the hardest hit you've either taken or, or given, I guess, that, that kind of stick out, like, a, a specific one? Oh, many. Um, <laughs> so the first hit that I took um, – with the Texas revolution in a game, um, I got, it was, first of all, funny enough, if you know, people ask me if I felt like it, it was, you know, a real thing and, you know, or if there was a setup or some people were against me, I'm like, um, if you had a small, fast running back, what is the last play in the world you would ever call? And they're like, mm, probably a dive up the middle. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so let's just talk about that first game. And, uh, Sterling Sharp, who's been a mentor of mine, good friend for years, calls me after it. And he's like, so in the huddle, was the play call Gen Die left, Gen Die right, <laughs> Gen Die left? And I was like, pretty much, because it was three dives in a row. So, you know, 
Um, not exactly the play call. If it was me coaching that same team, I would have been like, listen, you're probably never going to get the ball because you're the best equate in the world because those guys will not want to let you score. And so, you know, you're fast here. We're going to motion you this way and then run the opposite way, right? Like I would have used me every way except giving me the ball. And then I probably would have said when they've decided that you're never, ever getting the ball, then you're getting the ball. So just be prepared right now. You're not touching it. Um, Instead, I got to dive up the middle three times. Um, First play, I got it. I got hit by two guys. Um, and it was, it was a kill shot, right? It was, um, one of the guys told me later. Um, but thankfully, like I, I, throughout my career, one of the things I always did was get up first, right? Being tiny. I never wanted to stay on the ground because I figured they would assume they beat me. So I would like pop right back up and get to the huddle. Even if in the huddle, sometimes I'd be like, y'all, you got to hold me up right now. Like, I don't even know how I tackled that big girl. But, you know, to them, I'd be like, oh, mm-hmm. and I would like bop off. Like, it didn't even bother me. And so in that game, I like popped right back up, got hit by two dudes, popped right back up. And the place was so loud. I thought everybody was talking smack. Like, I thought the guys were talking smack. Meanwhile, I didn't realize everybody was cheering that I wasn't dead. Um, and... <laughs> So I was like, is that all you got? Because I got up, right? And I took a hit by two of them and, and was still, you know, breathing. Um, and so that part went viral. So that was definitely the hit, like one of the hardest hits I ever took. Um, probably the most infamous hit I ever got was my freshman year playing rugby. Um, and I tackled a girl and broke her leg. Um, and so if you want to talk about solidifying yourself as a rookie, that was it. <laughs> um, but in the U.S. national team in 2010, um, I was the leading tackler of Team USA with one of my best friends, Ninji Martin. Um, and we literally had like the same stats all the way down the board. Both of us were all world all-stars. And yet there was one play that um, – Team Finland ran. It was like their bread and butter. And my coach had a plan, like basically a setup. And he's like, when they do this, I just want you to crash. And he was like, you just go. Don't look at anything else. You're just hitting her, whether it's a fake or a give, I don't care. And I took that girl and I DDT'd her for like the biggest sack that Team USA had, like the sack for the greatest loss. And they did not run that play again. That's awesome. <laughs> I was like, That's they so were cool. like, well, dude, you took that right out the playbook. I'm like, good. I'd be like looking at her too. Like, you want to do that again? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, right here. That's and awesome. after that game, one of my favorite things. So Anthony Stone was our defensive coordinator for Team USA. One of the best dudes you'll ever meet in, in your life. Um, he runs all my, my gridiron girls camps with me. Like he was one of my favorite coaches I ever played for. He came up to me after that game and he's like, Welter, do you know what my biggest problem with you is? And I was like, I thought I had a great game. Right. <laughs> and I was like, no coach. He's like, I should have blitzed you more. I'm an idiot. And he quickly lost <laughs> <laughs> at least he knew <laughs> oh yeah it was amazing I, but i was like he was so like intense and i thought i was like oh no I, what right and, and then he said that and i was dying i was like oh, okay all right cool cool That's cool hilarious. cool 
Keep All right. Well, I'm going to jump into a question here yeah. real quick, Jen. So, yeah, when did, so we like, I'm an avid uh, NFL fan, you know, I know the game, but when did you start learning like the deeper schemes of the game? Like I, I know defense, but you, you, there's another level to it. And I'm curious when you started learning that and how thick is the playbook on the defense? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> so I, I remember when they first asked me like what I was um, most concerned about, like with the Cardinals. And I was like, I'm a doctor, but that playbook's as thick as the Bible. <laughs> um, and, and it really is. And, and it's, it's all of the contingencies too. Right. So not only is it thick, but each sheet has, you know, the different iterations based on, you know, formations and what the adjustments are and, and all of those things. Um, and the more positions you learn, the more you have to learn within the learning. Um, so like example, when I was with the Atlanta legends, um, I started out with the linebackers and then they switched some things on the coaching staff and um, the D line was struggling. And so I got moved to the defensive line, which is not a problem. I mean, I played some D line and I, I coached the D line when I was the head coach of the Australian women's national team. But then I was like, Oh, I just spent all of like the last, you know, break, uh, really finessing the linebacker stuff. And now I have to go in and, you know, not only learn, you know, where the linebackers and, and the D line obviously intersect, right. In terms of gap scheme, but now I have to learn the finesse points of that. Like if the line turns and you can scoop two and stuff like that. So um, a lot of work to really get into the playbooks. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a, a lifelong, I think, pursuit to really understand um, all of the different intersections um, and knowing it as a player relative to a coach is, is so, so, so different. Um, you know, and then even the scheming, right? Like that goes into it, um, how you're breaking down the opponents, um, the ways in which you look at the offenses, first of all, varies team to team you know, the things that they want to account for and how they're going to match up defensively. Um, and then putting in essentially like the skeleton of what your playbook is and then finessing it week to week, right? Are we adding in certain things based on what they do? Are we modifying some of the, the plays that we do? Um, and which things are we going to really make our, our base for that week? Um, so when did I, when did I really learn? Um, I think I'm still learning. Um, and I think that's, I think that's anybody in football is there's always something else to learn or a different way to look at what it is that you thought you knew. Um, and that has been really fascinating to me, like looking how, you know, at what one coach looks for versus another or how you, you know, even, even scheme D line. Um, if you're running a three, four versus a four, three, or, you know, are you a defense that predicates itself on, you know, matching offenses or not? Right. Or do you expect your players to have more of a wide range? Um, just so much that goes into it. And I think if right. more people understood, um, 
kind of the strategy part of it, they would be a lot more interested in it as a game. Um, Cause it's I don't a think a lot of it's people get access to that. What that real matchup stuff looks like. Do you think that, I guess in like, in your opinion, like what is more important? Like if you have a, a group of players, like trying to transform those players to put them into a certain system or building the system, I guess, around those players. Like I know there's a lot of coaches who will just take talent and try to force them into different schemes and, and different, like say defenses. Um, but I mean, like how important is it to, to look at those players individually and like to, to look at their strengths and weaknesses and try to like, build it around that or I guess what's your experience with coaches you've worked with and yeah I think you know I think one of the biggest things that you can find is like alignment between your scouting department general managers and um and your coaches um in terms of are we attracting the talent right that will fit well in the system Mm -hmm. and if we have somebody truly special then we might design things that specifically um, cater to that person, right? Like look at, I mean, I'll give you an example, right? Let's look at the New England Patriots, okay? They obviously designed an offense around Tom Brady, Mm -hmm. clearly, right? He is one of the best pocket passers there are. You want him to get at the ball out fast. He needs a great D-line. He's never going to hurt you with his feet, Yep. okay? Right? And they had him for 20 years. So why wouldn't you make sure that your offense matches with your, you know, your moneymaker, right? Which is what he was. Now you have somebody like Cam Newton come into the offense the following year. Some of the things that worked really well for the Patriots are the Patriots way and we're going to do it. But wouldn't we be missing something pretty cool if we forgot the fact that he is six foot seven an Adonis and is better than most running backs when he breaks the pocket, <laughs> right? Like this is yeah. an advantage. So yeah. it, it really has to be a mix of both. Um, I think anytime that you're so rigid to think that your system doesn't need adjusting, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And anytime that you're so rigid that you don't see players for what makes them great, you're also in trouble. Yeah. I was on a staff once and, you know, coaching the D-line and we had a, one of our best pass rushers was a little bit on the lighter side, probably more suited for an outside backer in a three, four, right? Just by make. We actually had a lot of those because we ran a four, three, which, you know, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. I wasn't a big four, three girl. Right. I, I was much more of a three, four with your outsides being your contain. Um, so this was different to me, but we also had guys who were bigger and better on that strong side, six tech take on the run game and let your small, fast pass rusher, right. Take that open side and finesse his way through. And yet we wouldn't declare a side. Right. This is something that we went back and forth with on a coach as a coaching staff. I was like, put him to the weak side. He's money there. Can he match up against a tight end when necessary? Yes. But there are guys who are built better for that. Right. That they have the knockback 
which he didn't as much, right? He was outweighed by 50 pounds, maybe, by one of our other guys. Give the guy with the knockback the advantage to displace the tight end, right? And take his shoulder and still be able to play contain and let the finesse guy finesse the backside. And now you can flip it every once in a while, but why not match them up? And, and, you know, in, in all fairness, even within our staff, me advocating for that was because I was somebody who was used to playing on the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. right? I was used to being that person. And yes, I could knock back a tight end because I was really strong, but was it the best matchup? Looking at it now, would I have put me there? No. <laughs> Did I play there a lot? Yes. And could you have told me anything when I was a player? No. And I used to get mad about it. But now as a coach, I'm like, oh yeah, you should have been on the backside all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I would yeah. never be on a tight end. Right. Um, but you know, they the you know, the DC was a secondary guy first. So he thought first about the secondary and and that stuff wasn't as much his language and he didn't want to uh declare a strength to tip off the defense. So, you know, you have both of those things, and it depends really on what you're willing to do as a team. And maybe it's matchup to matchup, right? Maybe sometimes you do specifically um, put somebody in a position because of what their offense merits or their defense merits, um, even if it's a little bit outside your philosophy. But a lot of the teams that you see struggle are ones that the alignment of the system and the scouting are not the same, right? One of my buddies, was a great, he was actually an amazing corner, played in the U.S. or in the in the league for a long time. I'm not going to give his name. Um, and he was coaching and he was frustrated. He was like, man, none of these guys are my guys. And I was like, don't you get to tell them, coach? And he's like, yeah. They asked me to evaluate the guys. I said, give me him and him. I don't want him. I could take him. And this guy's trash. Do you know who they gave me? The I don't want him and this guy's trash. <laughs> Because the scouting mentality, right, that they said they wanted were big corners. And he was a guy who liked small, scrappy corners who didn't need to cut coverage, whereas a big jammer off the line a lot of the time needs somebody to cut their coverage if they get beat. So, you know, your philosophy of your coaches and your scouts have to be in alignment because then you can make sure that there's synchronicity. So whatever it is, right? Either we're going to train people to be in our system. Okay. That's what the coaches said they were going to do. Um, and this is the system, or we're going to scheme, um, according to the guys. Right. But in the, for the most part, you know, you're drafting one or two guys, right. To maybe go to defense or in a position group, you're, you're not pulling in that many new guys. So unless you're changing over an entire like unless your defensive coordinator, offense coordinators are changing over, your whole system isn't going to flip because of one or two guys. So better to align and say, you know, we're, we're going to go after a true nose, right? Than somebody who's not big enough to, to, to two gap. Because that guy's going to always be beat unless we change our line scheme. And that means it's not only going to affect him, but it's going to affect a whole lot of people. Yep. So there really has to be a lot of alignment in that. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting with football. Like I see it a lot in basketball. And I mean, some of the, those coaches are kind of getting pushed out of the league because of that. Um, but I mean, uh, it, it's easier because it's a smaller, it's a smaller court that way. And they try to like form fit those guys into their systems. Whereas football, there's so many positions. And I, I was just curious. I'm like, you do see some coaches who, uh, I mean, have troubles because it almost seems like they're just trying to jam their system down a throat. And I mean, yeah, it's, I just, I just wanted to, to hear your expert analysis on that. So thank yeah, you. Yeah. And, and I mean, it really does have to be the alignment between the scouts and the coaches, yeah. right? Because if the scouts are, are getting guys who are going to work with what the coaches want, then there shouldn't be friction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But a lot of the times, you know, if you have a draft board that goes with the best player available, uh, that guy could objectively be the best, you know, player available from a scouting report perspective, but not be a great fit with your team or your system. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. And that's, that's why you'll point. also see guys be really good at one team and then terrible at another. Yeah. I mean, look at like Ryan Tannehill right now. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a Tennessee Titans fan. I got, I got a soft spot for them, but I mean, look at his early careers. Everyone's saying yeah. he's out of the league and then he comes to Tennessee and tearing it up. I mean, he's got a hell of a running back behind him, but he's still throwing the ball pretty well and playing. playing That's right. So. He absolutely is. And Mike Vrabel has showed, you know, that he really, and this is, I think, you know, can you be a great coach and having not played? Yes. But are some things not going to be as natural for you to maybe think of or adapt to? I would think so. Yeah. Right? Like I told you, like a strong side versus a weak side. Okay? I know that he needs a little bit more knockback at that strong side because I've done it. Right? Yeah. Um, but could somebody else theoretically like maybe not get that or not prioritize it to the same extent because they didn't play? Yeah. yeah. And so it, it's not like it is or it isn't, but Mike Vrabel was one of the best linebackers in the game. So he understands all of the elements of breaking down a quarterback, right? And how much pressure, for example, having a great running back takes off the quarterback because of what the defense has to do differently. So there's a lot of things that you can see that his his gamesmanship, right, has played into what has made, I think, the, te the Tennessee Titans one of the best teams out there. Mm -hmm. um, I think they are sneaky good. I think a lot of people have, you know, and that's hard to say since they started undefeated, but I mean that prior to this season, um, I think they caught a lot of people off guard, and, and Tannehill is a great example. There are a lot of quarterbacks like that who um, underperform in one system or, or you see it in, in the reverse. A lot of the times, honestly, you see a guy who was great and then they adapt the system and take away what made him great. For example, a mobile quarterback. And now all of a sudden he's worth a lot of money. We don't want you running the ball because you might get hurt. So we're going to keep you in the pocket. Well, once you take away the running threat, now he has to be as good a pocket passer as somebody else, yep. right? Because we as a defense are no longer dedicating a spy to that guy, yep. which means you took away something that made him deadly and made him play someone else's game. Yep. 
You know, I mean, think about if we took, we took running away from Russell Wilson right now. (laughs) Right. Like, but that's what you're talking about. And Mm -hmm. that's what a lot of teams do with somebody when they become their franchise guy. Earlier, yeah. you, uh, you talked about the Atlanta Legends. Uh, I think it was like 2018. It was under Brad Childress. What do you think of that guy? Brad Childress is a legend. I love Chili. Um, I, I met Chili when um, I was coaching for the Arizona Cardinals. And uh, Daryl Drake, who was our receivers coach at the time, came up to me after the game, or like before the game in pregame. And he's like, Coach, it's a long time out here, isn't it? And I was like, yeah. You know, it, I mean, it's so different um, how long that time feels. Like when you're a player, it's like, it's a minute, right? You're doing all this stuff. You got pregame, you got this, you're getting ready, blah, blah, blah. As a coach, there's like a long time that you're there. And he goes, do you know what we coaches do now? And I said, no. And he said, we talk to other coaches. Do you know why? And I said, no. And he was like, because they could hire you one day. This business flips all the time, right? It's like staffs change over. And if you don't know anybody, then you're not going to get hired. And he goes, as a matter of fact, see that guy right there? Chili? Chili's a good dude. I'm going to take him over there. You, you need to meet Chili. He'll be a head man again one day and he could hire you. So he walked me over and introduced me to Brad Childress. And that meeting... Um, you know, we, we kept in touch and when he accepted the head coach position for Atlanta, um, I, I was someone he called early and he said, coach, I want, I want you on my staff. Um, and you know, what I, what I like about him is he's such a deep thinker. Um, you know, we would talk about the team formation and philosophies and, and leadership. And he really, um, valued, uh, my PhD. Uh, quite a bit, which, you know, I didn't realize that head coaches didn't talk to people like that that often. And um, until another coach told me that, and he is, he is a master of the game. He is incredibly detail oriented. He is a, a great teacher and he really um, just has a, a very like a wise perspective about him. Um, I remember like he actually left the legends early, which um, when I, when I referenced like the coaching shakeup and moving to D line, it was because he went back to the bears. So we didn't have him as long as I, I would have liked. Um, and um, so I was doing one of my girls camps for the bears when he was coaching there and he came out and talked to the girls. Cause you know, he's my guy. And, um, and we were talking after and I said, Hey coach, did you ever think that you would be in Hallis Hall giving a talk in front of a sea full of ponytails? And he said, knowing you, Jen, I should have realized that that was an inevitability, (laughs) right? Like just such an astute guy. Um, And one who doesn't hold anything back in terms of, of knowledge, which I always thought was so cool. Um, you know, you, you could ask him about anything and um, it might be over your head. Like sometimes yeah. offense stuff, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I, 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 I love him to this day. One I more just texted you. with him the other day, actually. Oh, really? 
Drew, are you a are you a Brad fan? He's a Vikings uh, fan, so I'm, I just want to know. If it's he tough. Was. It's tough. <laughs> but uh, why after is hearing, it tough though? Uh, we didn't have very good time in Minnesota while he was here for a while. And 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 why was that though? Uh gosh, I don't know. Minnesota's kind of had a, a long, <laughs> you know what Vikings history is like. So, <laughs> what are your thoughts on it? Well, you know, him and I talked about it one time. Um, you know, and and uh, his exit from there, getting into it with Moss and and all that stuff. And you know, he's such a deep person. Um, there was just not great synergy and alignment between, um, you know, the general management scouting staff and the coaching staff. So a lot of those problems that you saw kind of translate to the field were, which they often are. Um, my takeaway was that it was not alignment between the front office and the coaching staff. Right. And they didn't have each other's backs, which whether it's a star player or who you're going to draft or how you're going to handle things, anytime that there's just friction, it breeds chaos, Mm -hmm. right? Like, um, and, and that was kind of my takeaway from it. I mean, obviously there's, there's more to any story, um, but in just listening to how thoughtful he was of that time and how appreciative and how, reminiscent right like of so many great memories with the vikings um all i could pick up with is that you know it it really was a lot of behind the scenes stuff that then you see as being a fractured team a lot of the times right um you know like use a, a current example of you know the jets when you know the defensive coordinator was saying he needed more help from the offense you don't, you don't do that, right? And, and you yep. certainly don't do that in the public because if the coaches are disagreeing, then how are you going to get buy-in from your team? What right? about like, players, might, though? Like, huh? what, about, what about like players and coaches doing that? Like uh, Nick Foles and Matt Nagy recently. Like, what do you think about that? Um, what happened with Foles and Nagy uh, recently? I think Na- uh, Foles is saying the play calling is, uh, you know, dog shit. And uh, so he, he issued an apology, but it's different, I feel like, from a player and a coach. You know, the, there's going to be friction there. That's your boss telling you what to do. As where the, the coaching staff, you know, that, that's that's same level right there. Right. But, I mean, if a player is saying that in – how how do you expect the other team or, or the other players to buy in and do what the coaching says, right? Like, I, I, look, there's always going to be stuff, right? And yet, does the media have the right to know, right? Is it any of their business? Not really, because once they get involved, you're escalating the problem as opposed to diffusing it. If you and I, right, if I make a play call, first of all, the, the conversations I'd always have with my players is this, like, I am not perfect, but you know that I love you, right? Yes. You trust me, right? 
Yes, because we developed a relationship. So what I ask of you is to realize I am always going to give you what I think is the very best. Does that mean it always will be? Absolutely not, right? We are playing chess and sometimes I'm going to get outplayed. But what I ask is that if you do what I ask you to do, then it's my fault, right? Hey, I put them on a blitz to the inside. They beat us to the outside. That's a bad call. That's on me. But if you do your own thing, then it's on you. And I can't protect you, right? Because it's my job that we're all on the same page. And so if, if we have a foundation of trust and love that you trust that I'm always going to try and give you my best, doesn't mean it's always going to work out, but I'm never going to put you in a bad position intentionally, right? Why would I do that? Then what does that mean? If there's a problem with the play calls, come talk to me. Do you know what players do? Do you know what we do on the bench? Hey, what did you see? What would work? Hey coach, you know what? He's cheating me to the inside, blah, blah, blah. Or he's setting really hard outside. If I jab step and then come under, I got him beat. Cool. Okay. Linebacker. If he jab steps and comes under, I'm going to need you to wrap to the outside just in case they roll out and we can't be beat with no contain. I said it. You told me what was going on because you will, as a player, see things that I may not, but we have to have the give and take, right? And if Foles throws the coach under the bus like that, then the trust part has just gone out the window. And what am I going to say? You don't trust me enough to do what I ask you to do, which means you're half-stepping and you're probably playing slow because you're already second-guessing me. So you don't trust me enough to do my job. Why would I keep you in yours? So, so I guess Nagy came back um, after the game this weekend and he, there was a late delay of game penalty that they had. And I guess he is now complaining that Foles relies on his wristband with all the plays on it. And he's saying how it's his fault. Cause he's like, he's like, I can't believe we're still doing this with the wristband, but that's what Foles has always done. And he said he was still reading it with 23 seconds left on the clock, walking into the huddle, blah, blah, blah. But now he's, he's almost coming back at his quarterback talking about his wristband. It's like, Right. And I mean, so there's no trust there and there's no, I got you. Right. Because if you're going to call me out, I'm going to call you out. Yeah. Right. Like, because Nagy's fighting for his job too. Yeah. Right. And we've seen it with premier players, coach calling out coaches that they can quickly lose their jobs. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, you hope that it never gets to that point. Right. And I think some of those things have like are best set up up front. Um, because if we trust and love each other, then we understand that some days you're just gonna say things that are all types <laughs> of twisted. Right? Like, okay, so you had a bad day. Are we are we good yet? Right? Maybe we should talk about this. Sure. But they have an opportunity to talk every time they're on the bench. So if the play call is trash, then maybe you should say, like, Hey coach, this is open, right? Hey, what about this? And the fact that he's using a wristband, that's tough, 
because most quarterbacks don't, which means that it is slower to process. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting for sure. I wonder how it's going to play out, but um, I mean, it's never good, especially when it's in the public eye like that. Mm -mm. It doesn't bode well because by the time it gets into the public like that, it generally means that there's been a whole lot going on in private before that. Yep. Right. This is this, whatever was said um, was, was generally a symptom of something a whole lot deeper um, because at the point where it got so overwhelming, right. That it it blew its top, you know, there's generally been a lot more that happened. Deeper roots for sure. Yeah. Um, so what, uh, professional teams are you a fan of, or, or are you just not a fan? Are you just more of a, a fan of the sport or do you have like ties to any specific teams? Um, you know, I don't follow teams. I follow players. Okay. Um, really meaning like, unless it's my job, right? Like, unless it's, you know, I'm coaching this team then I'm all in for that team. Yeah. Um, but you know, for right now, um, I always say like a defense can steal my heart any game. Um, like a defense will like they're shutting it down. Like those low scoring games that people are like, ah, oh, this is boring. I'm like, this is so amazing. Right. Like we just stack the quarterback. And, and it's hard because I have a lot of friends who are quarterbacks. I don't know why, but I'm like, yes. Oh, oh, are you okay? Right. Like, um, so for me, it's really the, the players that, um, that I have coached the people I know in the game. Like I said, you know, Avery was with the Jets and now he's like with the Steelers. Like I, I'm going to cheer for him at the Steelers, right? I have buddies that are on the Steelers. I'm with them. I have a lot of friends in Tampa. So like, I'm excited for Tampa. I've got, you know, Christian Covington's with the Bengals. I want to see him tear up whoever he goes against. You know, I have buddies on the Texans and, you know, you, you just really kind of keep a feel for those teams um obviously like i i will always love the cardinals that's just it's just um and i have friends there so it's both but like you know honey badger is in kansas city so i'm gonna i'm gonna be for him um you know des is a friend so i'm i'm excited about him joining up with my boy calais campbell at the Ravens. so it really is personal for me um it a, a team doesn't own me um so why am I not going to go to with the people that I, I really love? All right. Um, what is your, if you had a walkout song or like a, a walk-up song, like what would it be? Um, I generally say it's Alu Black, I'm the Man. Okay. Oh, nice. That's a good song. Um, because, you know, I've, I've been with the guys for so long. And, you know, usually women are like, what? And I'm like, have you ever listened to that song? Because it actually has nothing to do with gender. Yeah. Um, but it's really great to see what people's responses will be. Um, and it is a dope song. So, yeah. you know, yeah. got to go with that one. Okay. Okay. I like that. Um, let's see. I do want to play a little like either or like rapid round of uh, questions with you. But I want to see, Drew, do you, well, what else do you have? Uh, my last thing that I have is a... Bruce Arians, especially in his fedora, looks like a guy down at the coffee shop stealing Wi-Fi. Uh, what do you think of Bruce? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, first of all, B.A. would tell you that he learned how to be a player's coach by his time um, tending bar. Um, 
So he would be good with that, with that description of the fedora, like low key underestimating him. Like he's just that dude. He's, you know, he's somebody who says like, um, coach him hard and love him harder later. Um, as well as saying, you know, um, you know, he's very quotable, no risk it, no biscuit. Um, he is that guy that you see that you would love to sit down and, and have a beer with, have a brat with, have, you know, talk about things and he will make them very clear. He's very honest. Um, he is funny. Um, and you couldn't really find a better dude. Um, you know, we've, we've had some epic conversations on every everything from his lake house to, um, you know, dealing with, um, a player overcoming an injury psychologically to, um, coach feedback to, you know, his, his decisions to kind of change what the NFL is and, and be somebody who, um, you know, was often overlooked, right. One of the oldest first time head coaches in the NFL history. And yet one of the youngest head coaches in college football history. Right. So he's, he's a little, he's a little bit used to, um, either you love me or you hate me for it. And it's not really my problem. And I have a lot of respect for that. True that. All right. Well, jury, anything else? Otherwise, no, we go, can do go ahead. All right. So we'll do some either ors here, but we're um, going to call our coach from now on. Um, <laughs> right. Call our coach. Co- coach or doctor? Well, which one? I- <laughs> either one. <laughs> All right. So uh, beer or seltzers, like hard seltzers. I'm allergic to beer. So oh, seltzer. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I found out I was allergic to gluten, um, in like 2004. So like before I even knew what that was, but I felt really like I would get really swollen and feel really bad. Right. Like, and I went to this doctor and he tested me for allergies and he told me I was allergic to gluten. And I was like, that's like death. <laughs> yeah. it's, in everything and he was like yeah but it would explain why you didn't feel well and wow honestly one of the best things that i ever learned right because we're all good at getting to know ourselves right because every pre-game meal that we ever had was either sub or a pizza <laughs> and i wondered why i would feel like i wanted to take a nap like it, being allergic to me is like the worst case of the itis you could ever imagine so even with beer, I used to wonder why people liked it because I'd be like, okay, everybody says it's so good to relax to. And I feel like I'm hungover yeah. and I didn't even ever get drunk. Um, so no beer or I'll be like nappy time. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if this next one will make sense, but uh, brats or burgers? Do you? Um, I, again, a little bit the same thing. Yeah, um, that's why I like. You know. Um, Before 2004, what would it be? <laughs> It would probably be a burger. Burger, okay, okay. But I do like both, so just take the bun and you can keep the bun. Okay, <laughs> I like that. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald or John Brown? Ooh, two good ones. <laughs> um, first of all, Smokey is amazing. We call him Smoke um, because he's so fast. Um, but um, I love them both, but I would have to go with Fitz. Um, I haven't seen um, Smokey in a while. We used to have great laughs every day. Um, 
but fits i i guess like sarah thomas when she goes to cardinals he asks about me every time um that's so, awesome that's and awesome. i i love fits he's my dude he's as good as they come yeah he seems like a great human um, but i would take them both if given the opportunity okay okay uh be- they, you know it fits to the slot jb to the wide out one of the best things Fitz told me was he should have never taught, uh, he should have never showed uh, BA that he could block. <laughs> Cause when, when I, in BA's system, when he was doing that short motion into the line of scrimmage, he was blocking yeah. and you were in trouble. Cause yeah. that dude is strong. That's awesome. Uh, being a coach or being a player? Player all day. Player. Uh, night. Yeah. Oh, sorry. What? I, I'm sorry. Like, I, I love coaching, but there's nothing like getting to tackle somebody. I like that. Uh, night owl or early bird? Night owl. Okay. Spiders or snakes? Can the snake eat the spiders? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I would say the snake probably because um, you can see them more likely. Spiders. Okay. Good point. <laughs> Although I, I did coach in Australia and those spiders, like there are spiders that eat birds. It's, I don't. I can't imagine that. Mm-mm. I'm going to go with snakes, just not poisonous ones. Okay. Okay. Uh, vanilla or chocolate? Chocolate. Uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas? Christmas. There's presents. <laughs> Darts or pool? Ooh, two good ones. I- I'd play both, but um, in Florida, we played a lot of darts. Okay. Okay. And then uh, Batman or Superman? Batman. Batman. Okay. I love that. And then... Let's see here. Last one. Uh, Burger King or McDonald's? Uh, neither? Uh, <laughs> I can go with neither. I mean, I, I would go with neither, but you know, at Burger King, I could at least take the crown and go yeah, eat somewhere else. That's true. <laughs> All right. I think Drew has some too, right? Uh, I got one more. BA or Cliff's, Cliff Kingsbury? Ooh. You know, I don't know Cliff Cl- Kingsbury, but I've heard he's cool, but I got to go with my dude BA because yeah, he went with me. I'm going with him. Cliff just has a cool house. That's all he has. It doesn't. Look, I've heard he's great. And I've actually had people be like, you guys would be just like this. And I'm like, well, great. Make the intro. Yeah. Cliff, holler at your girl. Um, Shout out. I, you know, I miss them. And I love Steve Kime too, who's their general manager. Him and I used to have our work and workout sessions, like our multitasking. I'd be studying plays on the treadmill um, or the elliptical. And he'd be like making multitasking calls. And we'd just kind of like, so he's my dude that's awesome well thank you for uh for joining us tonight we we appreciate you Anytime. taking the time and uh um, we loved hearing about it i mean you have a, a, a amazing story uh so i'm glad we could learn more and kind of hear some of the insights so thank you so much my pleasure guys it was fun thanks coach thank you, you got it <laughs> Shook it, y'all know the name.